Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Kerry Bowie to the show. Kerry Bowie is the managing partner of Masada Partners and the Majira Project. Masada is Swahili for service, and the strategy firm empowers social impact through consulting, coaching, and connecting. Majira is Swahili for summer. So in a nod to the growing season, the Nonprofit Accelerator Program and Innovative Support Organization helps small businesses and startups grow with a mission of community development through entrepreneurship. Kerry also launched the Browning the Green Space Initiative, which is a group of cross-sector leaders striving to advance diversity, equity, and inclusion in clean energy and beyond. Kerry, how are you doing today? Raj, I am uh, doing doing well. All, all things considered, in this crazy 2020 that we're in, I, I am doing well and uh, happy to be here. Well, thank you. It's been quite a ride, hasn't it? Definitely a ride. Just trying to <laughs> hold on this year. <laughs> so, Kerry, where are you currently located? So, I am in uh, Somerville in my basement. Uh, so, uh, moved from a co-working space uh, in, in Boston to really working from uh, from home. So Somerville is just outside of Cambridge, which is uh, just north of Boston. How's the weather up there? Uh, it, it rained cats and dogs yesterday. Uh, so I think it's still wet today, but not as bad as it was yesterday. Well, good. I'm glad to hear it. So Kerry, I'd like to start the show by asking my guest the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? Something interesting about myself. Um, let's see. Um, I think I've always um, played in a number of different, um, you know, spaces. So in the public sector, uh, the private sector, uh, the non-governmental uh, sector, and that goes back to even when I first started, uh, you know, college. I started on a Navy ROTC scholarship at uh, at MIT. Uh, and, 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 and maybe this is an interesting piece of that, uh, not exactly where I ended up, but, uh, this was around the time of Top Gun. So I thought I was going to be a fighter pilot or a, a Rio. So back in the, uh, Maverick and, and Goose, Goose days. <laughs> so if I'm going to place that, that was the early nineties, perhaps early nineties. Yes. I got you. I got you. Very nice. So where does this interest in different areas of life stem from? My mom was a uh, was a teacher. Uh, my mom was a biology teacher. I, I think everything. I think everyone's sort of built around sort of their their their, their family, their faith, and and media. Uh, sort of shape who who you are. And so, um, my my mom was a biology teacher and, and chemistry teacher, uh, which was great because 
being a teacher, she was home in the summer. We spent a lot of time, you know, at museums or sort of walking around parks and, you know, naming trees and leaves and, you know, animals. So I, I think I always had, uh, you know, that piece. And my, my dad was a, a public servant in a sense. Uh, he was, you know, a, he was in the army, uh, did a couple of tours in, in Vietnam. He was a, uh, you know, paratrooper. And so I, I think there was this, you know, piece around service uh, that I got from both my mom uh, and my dad uh, and, and being able to, to help in whatever way you can. So now that you're a parent, it sounds like your parents instilled quite a bit of curiosity in you. Now that you're a parent, how do you do the same for your children? I think we, we try to let, and, and I've got two daughters, um, uh, nine and, and 12, and I'm sure they're, they're on a, a, a Zoom call or something right now. Uh, <laughs> as, as school is going on uh, above me, and my, my wife's probably on a Zoom too. I, I wish I would have invested some money in some of these uh, companies that are boosting web services <laughs> and things like that. Uh, but we, we just really try to allow them to to, to be curious and try to, you know, answer questions. And I, I think it's actually a, a, a privilege uh, that I can, as an engineer by training, you know, when they have questions, I, I sort of dig in deep and, and I explain probably too deeply at times when they're going, dad, you know, that's, that's <laughs> too much. We, didn't, we didn't really have to go there. Uh, but, you know, being able to do that and, and really my, my, my older daughter, uh, she was really like obsessed with, with Hamilton, uh, and really just thinking, you know, we moved away from civics, uh, in this country, you know, we're not, we're not teaching, uh, civics as much. And so I thought it was a great way for her to get sort of involved. And then as we see the election play out, uh, I think we've got a sort of real world, uh, sort of practical example of, of, of civics and how all of these things uh, play together. And so we've had many a uh, conversation uh, uh, about that. Um, and so I, I think just really being there to, you know, serve as a sounding board, to listen uh, and to allow them to do the things that, you know, they want to do, you know, my 12 year old, she couldn't, couldn't vote and she, she, she didn't have money to, to, to donate to campaigns, but she, you know, she, she was calling. Uh, you know, calling to battleground states and, uh, you know, doing, doing her part uh, to be to be active. So your home sounds like my home. We have Hamilton, I think, going nonstop 24 hours a day whenever they're awake. Um, before we move on, what's your favorite song? Um, oh, man, that's interesting. My daughter would be upset at me. She want, uh maybe I'm not going to not going to miss my shot. Um, that's, I mean, all of them are so, so good. Um, yeah, I'll go with that one. And, and mine is um, In the Room When It Happened. Yeah, that's a good one too. Well, let's switch gears here. You mentioned service earlier. Can you give the audience an overview of Masada Partners and your role at the organization? Yeah, so Masada Partners is the uh, strategy uh, consulting firm that I started uh, coming out of state government. Uh, Masada is Swahili. For service, and so the the, the thought was that uh, we empower social impact uh, through uh, consulting, um, uh, coaching, and connecting. 
and really just trying to make sure that uh, the target is on um, organizations led by founders of color or organizations that are, uh, you know, targeting underserved or under-resourced uh, communities and really doing that. You know, if I give the background, uh, I was doing a lot of work with uh, MIT's Venture Mentoring Service. Um, I was helping a lot of startups and companies to do to do work on sort of a volunteer basis. Uh, they just didn't look like me. Uh, they were mostly young uh, white guys and, uh, and, and, and Asian students. Uh, and so did not see a lot of African-Americans or, or Latinx uh, and, and also not a lot of women uh, per se. And was trying to see how we could help uh, there. And so that's how we, we started. Unfortunately, uh, startups and small businesses don't typically have the money uh, to pay for consulting fees. Um, and so, uh, we had to pivot a little bit. Uh, so we got other people, uh, to pay us to work with the company. So had a contract with the city of Boston, uh, actually just, uh, now about to apply to, um, to, to re up on, on that. Um, we, you know, I started doing work, um, uh, formally with MIT, uh, where I am a core instructor with the National Science Foundation. So I uh, am an instructor for their Innovation Core or, or I-Core program. Uh, and we started to work with some nonprofits who uh, had a little more funds to work on sort of, you know, strategic plans or to think about earned income and earned revenue. The only problem with that, uh, Raj, is, you know, doing the I-Core work, still didn't see a lot of black or brown people uh, in that program, uh, even some of the work with the city of Boston, uh, wasn't necessarily, uh, working with, uh, black or brown, uh, founders or, or owners. I did do a lot of that with some of the nonprofits, but it wasn't in the for-profit space where I was targeting. Uh, and so that really led to, um, uh, starting a, a, a pro bono program, uh, with one of my classmates from MIT Sloan, who was at the time a partner and managing director at uh, the Boston Consulting Group. And out of that came the Majira Project. So uh, similarly uh, in, in Swahili, Majira is um, Swahili for summer. And so in a nod to the growing season, uh, what we do is we try to help those small businesses that I was talking about in the for-profit space to grow. So similar to a seed or a seedling, you know, it needs sunlight, you know, water, nutrients, you know, a, a, a pot to, to grow in or a place to take root. Uh, startups and small businesses need the same thing, but, you know, in the form of, you know, consulting, coaching, connections, uh, capital, access to capital. So that's what we do. And uh, we, uh, formally turned that into a uh, a nonprofit earlier this year. Actually, on Juneteenth, uh, uh, purposely did it on Juneteenth. Uh, you know, in terms of the significance of that day, um, and yeah, that's 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 where we are. Well, congratulations on that. Let's uh, double click here on one of your initiatives regarding or called Browning the Green Space. Can you share with the audience what that is and what you're trying to accomplish? Yeah, and, and I think it dovetails really well from. <clears throat> excuse me, the work with uh, Masada Partners and the Majira Project. And so a couple of things we learned uh, with the with the Majira Project, uh, you know, over the last four years that we've been working on it, 
we learn that uh, these small businesses, these startups, uh, they need technical assistance. Uh, they, they need a, a sense of community or, 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 or space, uh, but also just connections. Uh, but what we really found out is they need access to capital. Uh, and the numbers are sort of staggering as you look at, you know, the, the amount of funding that goes to, um, you know, black and brown, you know, entrepreneurs. I, I think the number, and actually also if you think about uh, women, uh, the number is something like three to four percent of funding goes to um, women and like one percent goes to African-Americans. So if you are happen to be a you know African-American woman, you know, I think it's something like point zero 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 three or you know, I don't even know what it is, but, it, but it's so small uh, that it's in a sense laughable or, or maybe you know, criable. You know, that, that it's somewhat sad uh, that it's there. And so. <clears throat> One of the in, in doing this work, I started to talk to a lot of angel investors and VCs across the country, uh, especially VC funds being led by uh, black and, 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 and brown uh, people. And so one of those uh, guys, uh, my friend uh, Ed Joan Louis, who's actually from Somerville, uh, interestingly enough, um, and is now in California, uh, he had a carve out. Uh, for uh, a company, not, not a lot, but maybe like a hundred, hundred K. And he reached out to me and said, Hey, are you interested in investing in this uh, black founder out of Greentown Labs uh, in Somerville, uh, you know, where I am? And I said, Hey, I'm, I'm starting all these things. I don't have the, uh, the, 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 the dry powder right now, uh, but I'm happy to reach out to some people in my network. Uh, and that's what I did. And I reached out to them and specifically said, hey, would you be interested? And actually, I'll just call his name. Uh, uh, Josh Aviv. Uh, Josh Aviv is one of the founders of Spark Charge. Uh, and so they do uh, battery packs uh, for, uh, for, for cars. Uh, and what I was able to do is, you know, I reached out to a whole bunch of people um, and got them a little bit of money, maybe about 25K uh, to go in this round. That was my specific request. But my general request is, hey, I would love to talk about browning uh, the green space. Uh, I think I had gotten away from that uh, when I left state government uh, because, one, you know, there's a, at least in Massachusetts, uh, where, I, where I am, there's a one-year cooling off period where you're not supposed to, you know, if, if you leave, work in those areas. And I was an associate commissioner of operations, so I touched a lot of stuff. You know, I was doing brownfields, cleaning up contaminated properties. I was doing environmental justice work. I was doing food policy work. Uh, and, and I probably took it too far, uh, but that that is a little bit of that tax of being a black man in America. I, I think I was dotting my I's and crossing my T's. I wanted to be, you know, probably was being ultra, ultra safe or ultra conservative. Uh, in that, I probably could have been a little more lax, uh, but I didn't want to do that. And the problem was that one year turned into like three and a half, almost four years that I didn't do work uh, in sort of the green space where I'm trained. You know, I did environmental engineering at MIT undergrad and got a master's at the University of Michigan and actually got into the PhD program at Georgia Tech and worked in semiconductor manufacturing, doing facilities and environmental and safety health work. But I hadn't really been doing that. And I think all of this sort of coming back full circle, I realized I was in a few meetings on this topic and going, wow, 
I feel like I still know more than most of the people in this meeting. And I haven't done this work in like four or five years. Uh, and so that that was sort of an aha moment that said, hey, I really know this stuff. I should be doing uh, work in the in the green space. And I think the other piece, the reason I, I left state government was a little bit about this. You know, when I was doing work in environmental justice, talking about climate change and greenhouse gases, uh, going around the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to what we call gateway cities. And uh, for for your listeners who aren't in Massachusetts, a gateway city is a city where there's, you know, not Boston, you know, Boston's the the, the big, the big nut, uh, but those, those other big cities that, you know, maybe there's been disinvestment. They probably have high immigrant populations. Uh, manufacturing has, has moved away. Uh, there are going to be, uh, you know, lower income communities. Uh, you know, there, there's probably high English isolation uh, in these communities. And so in going around and talking in those communities about climate change and greenhouse gases, you know, a lot of those folk would look at me like, hey, we're not climate change deniers. We, we get it. It's important. Uh, but for us, it's not as important as, as jobs. It's not as important as, you know, affordable housing. It's not as important as education and affordable transportation and access to healthy food and the police, you know, uh, harassing us. Uh, and I got it, you know, as a, as a black man, I got it. But as an environmental engineer and a public servant, I was like, hey, these things are not mutually exclusive. Uh, and it's unfortunate that we're getting a lot of the, you know, we, you know, the black, brown, low, moderate income communities, you know, we're getting more than their fair share of what I call the environmental bats, you know, so the brownfields, the asthma, the pollution, but we're not, you know, sort of missing out on the environmental goods. So missing out on the, you know, clean tech, you know, the energy efficiency, the renewable energy jobs, and I was going, hey, this has to, you know, this has to to change um, because this is this is big. So one of my friends, uh, David Danielson, uh, who helped to start the MIT Energy Club, uh, he's now at Breakthrough Energy Ventures out in California. But at a time, he was at ARPA-E, and I think he was maybe an assistant secretary at the uh, Department of Energy. I remember going down and uh, this this will date it. Uh, governor Schwarzenegger, uh, was, he was Governor Schwarzenegger at the time. I went to a conference, uh, and I remember being at that conference uh, in D.C. And I think there were at least a thousand people in the room, and I could count the black and brown people on on two hands. And I and I didn't need all my fingers. There were probably like <laughs> seven people there, and I was going, "Hey, these people are not." And I'm not knocking tree huggers and environmentalists, and I I, I love them, but this, this is not who was in the room. Uh, these were people who were, you know, business people making money. And when I, when, you know, they, they were, they saw the business opportunity uh, in this, in this space. And I was going, man, we are about to be left out again. Uh, we're about, so that was really what precipitated me leaving to say, I want to brown the green space. The problem was, like I said, I, I was being cautious you know, trying to uh, adhere to that one-year cooling-off period, and I got uh, somewhat distance uh, from it. 
but this piece of doing the you know, Majura project and meeting these VCs and understanding this capital piece, it brought me back uh, to what is now uh, Brown in the green space. And so, like I said, I got money for Josh and uh, Spark Charge. And interestingly enough, maybe a month or so ago, uh, uh, Josh and his partner, uh, they actually were on uh, Shark Tank. Uh, and they, I saw that. Yeah, so they received some investment uh, from uh, uh, Mark Cuban and, and uh, Lori uh, Grinner, uh, and so, uh, but I, but I knew Josh before be- before that, uh, and so like I said, we got the money. But I think more exciting and more important than that is I woke up some folk in the Boston area who said, "Hey, we would love to have this conversation with you about." Uh, browning the green space. And so people at the Northeast Clean Energy Council, people at uh, New England Women in Energy and Environment, people at uh, the Prime Coalition and Prime Impact uh, Fund, people at the American Association of Blacks uh, in Energy, and and others. Uh, and so I could, and I'm, I'm probably in tro- probably got myself in trouble just naming a few, but there are a number of organizations. Uh, but we started having conversations Uh, And those conversations, I think I sent that message that I referred to back like the beginning of August in 2019. And I think I had a few conversations with some folk over the over that summer. And by that fall, uh, we we said, hey, let's let's open this up. Let's invite some more people. Uh, We did that. And this was pre-COVID. So we got to do those meetings in person. Uh, we did a meeting in October, came back and did another meeting in February. I think we were scheduled <clears throat> to meet, and then that's when uh, COVID hit. And so everything from there went virtual. So we did everything online, uh, but we had a few more meetings. And like I said, we we formally uh, incorporated uh, Browning the Green Space as a nonprofit in Massachusetts uh, at the end of September. So let's let's speak directly about grounding the green space. Earlier this year, quite a few cities in Texas, um, Dallas and Houston being the big ones, released climate action plans. You know, if you had the ear of, let's say, government officials, establishment, et cetera, what are some of the steps they could take to start browning the green space? You know, you mentioned funding, obviously, the first one, but what are some other steps they could take? So so that's 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 great. And and maybe let me let me explain what we're doing and maybe that will help because I think governments can be involved in not all of the the pieces because I, I am and you know I, I don't, I don't, they're, they're not necessarily colors but I, I grew up in in Alabama and spent time in Texas but I was schooled in Massachusetts and Michigan uh, so I, I'm, I'm about as purple as they come uh, I, I'm sort of right in the uh, in, in in the middle and so I, I believe in sort of right size government I think government can't fix everything uh, I, I think that uh, the pub, the private sector <clears throat> has to play, and I think they need to play, uh, you know, by the rules that they play by, uh, which is, you know, I, I think there definitely is a profit uh, motive, uh, but I do believe in, you know, triple bottom line, and and I think that's one of the, my biggest learnings of being in the in the public sector is, man, it's it's so much harder uh, to me than private sector. Private sector is very easy to identify who your 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 customer is. Uh, you can actually fire customers. <laughs> you can be really focused. <laughs> you cannot do that in government. Uh, so in government, everybody is a stakeholder. 
uh, and everybody you need to take, you know, take care of to a certain extent. And so in a sense, it does not become a, what is it, a maximization, you know, in the private sector, you maximize profits. In the public sector, it's an optimization or minimax deal where uh, it's, it's, it's interesting uh, where you sort of know you've done your job when nobody's completely happy. <laughs> and, and so it's, it's a weird sort of space to be. And oftentimes it's pretty, you know, uh, you know, thankless uh, because it, nobody is, is being truly ever completely fulfilled except in a few uh, cases. So with that being said, uh, the five pillars that we're working on in Browning the Green Space are uh, first around careers, is really how are we um, sort of mapping out uh, a pathway to employment for uh, black and brown folk and low moderate income folk, women, uh, you know, but our, our target is on race, not gender. Uh, one, because, you know, they're, they're, they're women who are part of, you know, they're, they're black women and they're Latinx or Latinas. Uh, and so I, I think we, we get that, uh, because oftentimes, unfortunately, you see when people talk diversity, uh, you know, they, they'll point to the gender lens and it's about white women. And, you know, that's, it, it can't just be that. Uh, we've we got to do more if we're really talking about, uh, you know, diversity in this country. So I think our, our first is around careers. And so how do we have a, a pathway? And so I guess there's an education side to that. Uh, that's, you know, elementary and secondary education. Uh, that's about trade schools. That's about community colleges. So I think you, you're right. From a government perspective, what are governments doing to make sure that, the education that they're providing uh, is is setting people up for the jobs that are in high demand and that are needed. Uh, and everybody doesn't have to go to an, an Ivy League. Uh, and most people don't need to go. That, that's not the training that people need. But how do we make sure people understand uh, the training that's necessary, uh, you know, for this green economy? So that's that's one is is focusing on careers. Second is focusing on companies, um, which is sort of the backside of that. It's sort of a two-sided marketplace. So, you know, where do those people who are looking for gainful employment go? They go to companies. How are those companies finding them? And so we're working with those companies to make sure that they, you know, don't have unconscious bias or not, not don't have it. They're, they are going to have it, but they, they can get beyond it that they can put some structural and systemic or systematic things in place to make sure that they're not blinded by uh, those biases, uh, that they're intentional about where they're, they're looking, you know, are they looking at, you know, at the collegiate level, are they looking at, you know, historically black colleges and universities? Are they looking at Hispanic serving institutes, uh, institutions? Are they looking at, the National Society of Black Engineers, NSBE, or the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers, uh, you know, SHIP or uh, ACES looking at, you know, the indigenous population. Uh, and so really being able to do things like that and think about it. Uh, and also just having some of that, you know, some of those tough conversations within corporations, uh, because a lot of stuff is still old boy network. Um People come in because of, you know, it's 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 who you know, 
not what you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And how do we how do we sort of change that? And not just for sort of white collar jobs, also blue collar jobs. Uh, you know, in in the union shops and the union halls, are you bringing in black people? Are you bringing in brown people? Are you bringing in women? And so I think there are some places for government and regulation in there, but a lot of it is also on the market side. And and I think our pieces, you know, looking at this is you know white collar and blue collar jobs. Uh, they both are green collar jobs. Uh, and so that's really our focus is on those green collar jobs. So Raj, you know, has started with careers, then their companies, and then going back to what you said, uh, you know, there's a, this whole funding piece, uh, and we split that into two groups. Uh, and so one is uh, capital, uh, is what we're calling it, uh, and and that capital is probably more venture capital. Um, and so going back to like a, a Josh uh, at Spark Charge or you know, there, there, there are other companies and I can name a, a bunch of them, but, you know, how do we get them the technical assistance, the consulting, the, you know, or, or the accelerators, the incubators, you know, because even, you know, uh, you're in you're in Dallas, but uh, Greentown Labs is here in Somerville. They just opened up um, in Houston. And so they're in Houston. Um, they're working on this, but, you know, not a lot of black and brown people there. And so I think they're actively and being more intentional about how they do that. But how can we make that so that's everywhere, uh, that we're really thinking about that? So that's on the capital side. Is so how can we support entrepreneurs? And then I think similarly capital, what we're calling something different is uh, if you think about working capital and growth capital, uh, more for small businesses or medium enterprises, uh, how do we support them as well? Uh, really more of the small businesses. And we're calling that contracts. And so how can we uh, focus on small businesses and make sure they're getting the contracts? And this goes back to that government piece around procurement. Um, you know, how are we making sure that the city of Houston or the city of Boston or other municipalities across the country, how are they uh, making sure that, uh, you know, vendors of color, especially in this green space, whether it's around, uh, you know, solar or wind or, energy efficiency or, you know, lead buildings or around water or some type of, you know, you know, food, something in the green climate uh, tech or climate change space. How are, how is that happening? And, you know, I don't, I'm here in Massachusetts, so, you know, it's easy for me to pick on Massachusetts and Boston because I, I, I'm, I'm most privy to that information, but, you know, the city of Boston, you know, if, if you look back at their procurement, uh, and, and you and you target it target uh, black uh, owned companies. I mean that number was like you know less than one percent or, or mm-hmm. less than two percent. You know as as like the the last reporting, and it was going man, this is you know almost you know it, it's kind of crazy. Like that doesn't make any sense uh, because that makes a difference. If one of those vendors can get a five hundred thousand dollar you know contract or a million dollar contract, that's a game changer because they can bring in some of that, you know, front office or, or back office support that allows them also to go in and target other contracts. Uh, and there, and there's some interesting things in uh, Massachusetts, uh, you know, our, our mass port organization is starting to do things where, uh, you know, not just having people come in as, you know, black and brown folk as subs, but, you know, having them come in, uh, and take equity stakes in some of these projects. And they've sort of built that into their, 
their uh, requisition, you know, their RFP, you know, uh, process. Uh, and you and you can see how that starts to change, how that starts to, uh, you know, have people coming together and, you know, making joint ventures and it allows us to stand up some of these companies uh, to do the work that they've been doing. They just haven't been able to do at scale. Uh, and so that's those are our four. So careers, companies, capital, contracts. And then the last one uh, is really the first one. Uh, if I think about it, is around communities, because ultimately uh, that's what we're, we're 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 trying to get to. Is you know, if you look at it, you know, those folk in the gateway cities that I talked about, those black and brown and low moderate income folk, those are the folk who need the technologies and solutions of the green economy more than anybody, uh, because they don't have a lot of disposable. They don't, actually they don't have disposable cash flow. A lot of them are living check to check. And so, you know, having your home buttoned up, having solar, having access to hybrid electric vehicles, that actually makes a difference. Um, You know, that, you know, having clean air um, is very different if you're, if you're, you know, going back to sort of the tree huggers, uh, you know, there's a piece where Hey, it is about you know the environment. We got to have trees, you know, to 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 breathe, and we got to have the you know the the animals and all all these things. But to me, this is all about people. Uh, I actually heard um, you know then Senator Harris, now uh, VP elect uh, Harris, uh, as she was I think fundraising here at one of the the law firms, uh, uh, actually with uh, uh, Senator Mo Cowan, um, and she was talking about this you know, as a, you know, a Californian and saying this stuff is real. Uh, We have forest fires. We've got flooding. We've got, you know, little little children who have asthma. Uh, That's what this is is about uh, to me. And so how do we change that? And so if I bring that back to the Northeast where we are, uh, I think this was also uh, like another aha moment for me. Um, I sit on the, well, I'm a, I'm a part of the MIT uh, Sloan has a sustainability initiative where they bring in um, uh, alums uh, and they do a renewable energy finance roundtable. And people are talking about project finance and a, a bunch of different things uh, in the space. Uh, and there are a handful of us who are thinking uh, more at the community scale. And we do these challenge workshops. Uh, and so I did a challenge workshop probably four years ago. Uh, And in that challenge workshop, uh, I talked about getting energy efficiency to um, low moderate income. And some, one of the data points that really jumped out to me, uh, and I can't remember the exact figures, uh, but the gist of it was that the Latinx population in Providence, Rhode Island has the, the largest fraction of their sort of wallet dollars go to energy and you go hmm. that really is interesting that's something that my wife and i were speaking about recently is that what percent of our income goes towards you know paying energy bills versus other people so continue with that yeah and and so i think and i can't remember if it was like was it like nine percent or or i think it was they may have been double digit where everybody else across the country was single digit and it makes sense one they're not they're they don't have a 
a, a large wallet in the first place. So they're probably not salaried employees. They're probably, uh, you know, check to check, to check uh, hourly em- employees. So one, you've got a smaller wallet size. Two, we're in the Northeast where we have some of the, you know, higher energy costs in the country. So that's, so that's two. Three, we're in the Northeast where we got some of the oldest housing stock in the country. Uh, so, so it's not buttoned up. It's not tight. Uh, three or four, I can't even remember which number I'm on now, which bullet. Uh, they're probably not homeowners. So they're tenants. So you got those tenant owner issues. So the, the landlord doesn't, he doesn't, he or she doesn't care or, 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 or does not have the incentive to, to fix it. Um, because they're not paying the bill. So the bill goes to the, to the tenant. And, and so in a sense, you don't have a bunch of money. Oh, and now the last piece, it gets pretty cold in Rhode Island. Uh, and, and so think about it. It's like really cold. You're paying the bills. You don't have a lot of money. You know, you're in a sense, you're like throwing money out the, out the door or out the window. And we go, that's happening like all across the country. And so in Dallas, it might not be about uh, uh, heating. It's about cooling. And so you're going to have a similar issue there uh, where, you know, if, if, if you're, you're throwing money out the house too, if you're air conditioning the, the outside because your, your, your place isn't, isn't buttoned up. And so I think there is a piece of what, what, what tends to happen. And this is going back to my conversation with the folk in the gateway cities is a lot of black and brown and low moderate income people don't see this as relating to them. They, they see the, this green economy as a lot of it being for the rich, white, green, and vain, you know, and that's sort of how we, you know, a, a Tesla is, that's, that's, that's who you see, you know, I don't see a lot of Teslas or Priuses or Prii or whatever you want to call them in Roxbury, Dorchester, and Mattapan, you know, the black, black neighborhoods, you know, in, in, in Boston, uh, you, you just don't see that, you know, every, every now and again, but, but we should, because they are the people who would get the most benefit, you know, out of that, and uh, be able to keep, you know, dollars in their pockets. So that's, that's sort of where we are. So just to, to recap on browning the green space, you know, we're focused on, you know, careers, we're focused on, on companies, on capital, on contracts, and, and on communities. So I, Appreciate that in-depth explanation. You've taken on some really big initiatives. Magic Wand, 10 years from now, what has Masaba Partners achieved? Yeah, so in, in terms of Masada Partners and what we've, we've, we've done, um, you know, I really just want to, and, and I think this, this comes back to, to everything uh, and maybe is, is sort of a good, uh, you know, way to, to sort of frame it. Um, I'm, I'm working at the intersection of sort of three areas. Um, so I'm, I'm looking through a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens. I'm looking through uh, an energy and environment lens. Uh, and I'm looking through an uh, entrepreneurship and innovation lens. And so I, I am happiest when I'm working with at that intersection of all three of those things. So if I can be working with a 
a black or brown founder, you know, in a for-profit, you know, startup that's doing work in the green space. Like I'm, I'm, I'm excited because uh, I'm get, I'm getting to use sort of all of all of me. Uh, and from a you know a magic wand perspective, and I think this gets back to like why we're really doing this work is you know I, I would say before sort of COVID, and I think we got this on our website before COVID, and a lot of the racial injustices and things that we've seen of late, you know, here in 2020, I would say arguably the two biggest uh, problems facing the country are, are climate change and the wealth gap, uh, and and that's where we're trying to work. So how can we tackle uh, climate change, um, you know, both on the adaptation and mitigation side? Uh, and how can we uh, tackle the wealth gap? Uh, how can we create jobs and create wealth? And I think there is a, a way uh, to, to do um, that by getting black and brown people more involved uh, in the in the green space. Because uh, I don't want us to miss this uh, this wave, uh, at, at least not here in Boston, not here in Massachusetts, in New England and the Northeast. This is where we're starting, uh, but I think that there are uh, you know similar opportunities all across the country uh, to be doing this type of work. Well, I look forward to seeing your vision align for you. Last question: If you could share some advice or words of wisdom with the audience, and it could be personal or professional, what would it be? Um, I, I think when I, when I talk to, um, uh, young people or like career changers or, or different folk, you know, if I, and I say this is free advice, <laughs> so, 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 you, you, you know, it might be worth what you, you pay for it. But, uh, I, I think, you know, making sure that you are following your, your passion, uh, is, is, is so important. Um, um, you know, I, I think oftentimes when I'm talking to young folk, they're, they're first looking for like, who will, who will hire me? And then they're sort of looking at their toolbox of like, what am I good at? Um, but I think, you know, most or, or importantly is, uh, you know, what is it that would drive you and what are you ec- excited about? And if you, if you start with that, uh, and you, you really think outside of yourself and how you can, you know, be of service to others and be of service to the, the country or be of service to some something bigger uh, than you, uh, which I guess is in line with this podcast. You know, <laughs> uh, you know how, how can you do that work? Uh, then I think those other things fall, fall in line. Well, I think you're leading by example by following your own passion. So it might be free advice, but you're walking your talk. Thank you, sir. Well, Kerry, I've so enjoyed speaking with you. And I look forward to seeing the growth of Masada Partners and catching up with you again soon. Likewise. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Kerry. Before we go, I'm excited to share that we've launched our comic strip, The Adventures of Mira and Nexi. You can find the first issue at our website, nexuspmg.com, under the Original Content tab. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter 
where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.